we'll use as a starting point Psalms 119. We've been speaking on our Wednesday night service about parenting. And I just want to go ahead and make the disclaimer again that I've, I've made, I think, every time I've talked about this, even way back years ago when I preached about this. I'm no special kind of authority on parenting. I'm not an accomplished parent. <laughs> what authority I speak to you on about parenting has to do with what God has called me to do, which is preaching the Word of God. So I'm not coming at you, I hope, I don't want to, I don't want that feel to be there, that I'm some kind of guru or authority because parenting is still a great mystery to me personally because I'm still in the process of parenting. It's kind of strange, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's kind of a sad light that I see at the end of the tunnel because my youngest is 12. (laughs) Parenting in one sense is something that is going to come to a close for an individual at some point. Now, that does not mean that you completely throw off all of your parental overseeing and things like that. You know, grandparents, great-grandparents, you can always be some level of parenting. But it's just different, right, whenever you don't have kids in the house anymore. It's just different. It's just a different dynamic. So as I speak to you about this subject, I'm not coming at you as as, as some kind of guru. I've heard those people talk. And I just don't like the tone that I get when I hear those. I'm not saying who they are, but when I hear those experts talk about it, and it just sounds like it's almost disheartening to me because I think, you know, those folks have got it all figured out. If anybody ever comes across to you as though they've got it all figured out, you need to be very cautious about listening to that person because there's not a whole lot of humility there. So it's one of those things that we want to keep seeking. We want to keep searching. We want to keep growing. So understand, I'm not coming at you as some kind of guru or some kind of super-duper expert. I hope I never come at you because the Lord's the only expert. And again, I say this, as I said many years ago, there's a reason that you don't see or have described a parent disciplining a child in the Scripture. You ever notice that? There's nowhere in the Scripture that it says that Dad took little Johnny aside and applied three stripes to his backside. It doesn't say that. It does not give you a picture of that in the Scripture. There's a reason for that. Because if it was in the Scripture, we'd all do it just like that. We'd be like little robots. That's how it's got to be. See, the Lord in Christian liberty understands little Johnny may need something different than little Susie needs. And this little Johnny may be a lot more stubborn than that little Johnny. See? So you understand it requires faith to parent. It requires application of the Word of God, the Spirit of God. No two children are alike. You parents, would, I hope, would agree with that. I know my mom would agree. My brother and I, we were, not, we were not alike. I needed a lot more spankings than he did. He was a lot more of a conformist than I was. <laughs> so I just want to make that disclaimer to you. I don't want to come across as being some kind of high and mighty authority. But I'm going to tell you what, we're going to, we're going to look at some things that, that, things that are the authority, something that is the authority. It's the Word of God. So the first time we talked, we talked about parenting is not for the faint of heart. And the last time I spoke to you, the subject was that parenting may not be for the faint of heart, but it is all about the heart, the heart of that child. With, of course, disclaiming once again, we're not talking about getting that child in a condition to where they will go to heaven. That is God's work alone. So parents, the pressure's off. If you think that's a big pressure point, pressure's off of you for that. <laughs> that's something the Lord does. And we talked about shaping influences. And I'm going to go down this list again because I think it's important. And this is the way the list ought to be. But I fear that it's been completely reversed our day and time. 
the list ought to be with your shaping influences in parenting is family first, right? Dad, mom. I, I told you last week, you know, a lot of you are just kind of like almost ex, in something that's going extinct when you're in the biblical model of a family. A husband and wife, mom and dad in the home. That's just something that is just a rare thing, getting rarer and rarer day by day. But God intended for the family to be the shaping influence. That involves mom, dad, grandparents. It can involve brothers and sisters and so forth. The church should be the next shaping influence. And I tell you, if, if you're pursuing the kingdom of God like you should be, I tell you, that family and church, those things are just kind of neck and neck, aren't they? The family, obviously, because you spend more time with your family. But a, a close second running, there's the church of God. Then I mentioned coaches and teachers and friends. Uh, and then social media, video games, you know, iPhones, iPads. Now, as I said last time, and I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but it's flip-flopped. Sadly, a lot of the primary shaping influence on the young folks today, the children today, are would be video games, iPads, internet, computers, social media, then friends, then teachers, then coaches, and then maybe some family. And church may not even be on that list for anybody <laughs> in that uh, category. So we want to look tonight at more of getting to the heart of the matter. And we title this message, Parenting, Acting as God's Agent. So this is the third in the series on, on parenting. I remember something that my dad shared with me it went like this. Dad said, we can have everything from money to lands to property to houses to cars. But if we fail in raising our children, then we failed in everything. Now, that's something that dad said again and again. And that stuck with me. As a small child, I would hear that again and again, even whenever I was maybe being disciplined and it didn't feel too good. But that's, that stuck with me. And I, I carry that into my teens and my 20s and my 30s and now my 40s I carry that with me that if I, I could have everything I could have the world on a platter and if I don't do what God requires me to do as a parent then that means nothing those things mean nothing so we want to talk about acting as God's agent now I know a little bit about being an agent especially being in the law and brother Milam will probably be real familiar with some of these terms brother josh too if brother chris was here he'd be familiar some of y'all may be some familiar with some of these terms but an agent is a fiduciary and if that's a big word that that's impressive i'm not trying to be and brother john morgan i forgot about brother john. i forgot about my partner i'm sorry <laughs> sorry about that i thought i covered everybody you always miss somebody y'all try this sometime you're gonna miss somebody so a fiduciary is someone who is entrusted to take care of another or another's goods Okay, so that is the way a parent is. You are taking care of someone else's goods, someone else's person. So that's, I'm going to show you the proof verse for that in a minute after we get out of Psalms. But you're not just taking, you know, some parents think, well, you know, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. <laughs> that's not the way it works. You know, God is the one that initiated procreation. God is the reason that children come into the world. He initiated that process. And so it's a miracle every time a child comes into the world. See? And so a parent is just a fiduciary, just an agent who is there to discharge their duty to the one that they owe allegiance to, to take care of that child. See? A fiduciary is one who takes care of the goods of another. 
I remember years ago, one of the first cases that I dealt with in law was a, a woman who was a fiduciary for an old widow lady. And this old widow lady had a lot of money. And the woman who was the fiduciary appointed by the court spent all of her money. <laughs> and in the law, there's a thing called, and Brother Milam, these other brothers know what I'm talking about, there's a thing called a bond. <laughs> and praise God, that woman had a bond, and every penny of that bond was called in because the fiduciary, the woman, had spent, had wasted on herself. You know, she'd remodeled her own home. <laughs> Used that poor old widow lady's money who was in the nursing home and just, just blew her money. And she got called to the court for that. You know, think about that. That, you know, that woman, and she didn't discharge her duty, but if, if you were a fiduciary in a court and you had a bond, I've given that speech many times to people that were going to be fiduciaries. You know, you're going to have a bond. And if you decide to take the money that you're in charge of and go to the Bahamas, you know, not only is the, uh, the law going to come after you, but the bonding company is going to come after you. <laughs> you think about that in terms of children as a parent. What if God required you to sign a bond and said, that said, I'm going to pay you back for what I don't do right? <laughs> you see, thank God that he's not like that, right? Because I've done so much wrong and I've failed in so many ways and spanked the wrong one and got on to the wrong one and, and not in the right spirit at times. Thank goodness the Lord doesn't require us to sign a bond. But you are, as a parent, a fiduciary. Now, as a fiduciary... The power of attorney laws changed back in 2012. And there was a provision in the power of attorney laws that I hate because it's an option that a power of attorney has that whenever the person grants another person all this authority, they can say an additional authority is they give their power of attorney to the right to let somebody else do their power of attorney work. I mean, John Doe, Jane Doe, you don't even have to say who. I don't like that at all. Because it's a very high standard when you're giving somebody a power of attorney. You're letting you, them be your fiduciary. There's, if, if any of y'all ever want to execute a power of attorney let, and be my power of attorney, you will never have the authority to just say to John Doe, well, you go handle this for me. If I want you to be my power of attorney, it's going to be you. <laughs> and I do not like the idea of just letting anybody willy-nilly delegate it to somebody else. Neither does God like a parent to delegate their authority and their agency to someone else. But think about it. I've had many parents call me up from time to time through the years and say, oh, I need little Johnny or little Susie to make sure they stay on the sports team. Because if they don't, they're going to get in trouble. <laughs> well, that's a kind of sad admission, isn't it? that the sports team is actually keeping them out of trouble, that means you've delegated your authority to keep little Johnny, little Susie out of trouble to the coach. You see? Now, I'm all for that. I get there's some broken homes and there's some bad situations where the structure is good. I get that. I get all that. But in general, that is not something that a parent is to delegate to a coach or to a teacher. Okay? Or to a school. Or to a day scare. I did not mispronounce that. So you need to do the math. If you're going to be a parent one day or you want to be a parent, a lot of folks I'm talking to in this crowd here tonight are already parents. Some of you may be grandparents. And then there's some of you that will be parents one day. I don't think there's any doubt about the statistics, their probability there, that a lot of y'all are going to be parents one day. You need to do the math. 
Because if you delegate away your agency, what God requires you to do as a parent, you need to do the math. Because if all they do, it, and look, I'm not saying, well, you got to school your children this way or school them that way. But whatever you do, if you homeschool, if you public school, if you private school, if there's some other unique way to school one of these days, a home tutor, I mean, who knows? But you need to do the math. Because if you go the route of sending Johnny or Susie off for six or eight hours, and then you don't get home until five or six, and then you're exhausted and you sit down for 15 minutes to a meal, and then there's homework, there's this, there's that, there's the other, and the next thing you know, it's nine o'clock and everybody's exhausted and tired. And if you do the math on that, it's shocking how little time parents may be spending with their children. How do you think the one who can call the bond in on the fiduciary is going to feel about that? Okay, how'd you take care of my, my goods today? How'd you take care of my goods? Oh, well, let's see. I spent um, 32 minutes with them. <laughs> or 45 minutes. Or I spent an hour. Y'all are kind of quiet in here and could hear a pin drop. And that's okay. I'm, I can take the heat. I'm just telling you what the Word of God teaches about parenting. You need to do the math. The math shocks me. Because I'll be sitting at the office for hours upon end at times doing work that I've got to do. I've got to hit those deadlines. I've got to do that. And I'll just catch myself and I'll just say, my math's not adding up. <laughs> you know, my dear wife has been, she's, she's been with them too long. They're probably driving her crazy. I got to get home and take some pressure off of her. I can remember when the kids were little. When the kids were small, it felt like when I was so excited to get home and I was so happy. My smile was on my face and I walked in and the first thing I see is Tracy handing me a switch. You're up, buddy. I mean, that's just part of life a lot of times. If you do the math, then maybe, and I, when I say you, I say me because I'm including me in that. When I do the math, maybe I'm not going to go spend six hours on the bulldozer whenever I can go spend that with the little fellas or the bigger fellas now. I may just wait and get up at five in the morning and run it for a couple hours so I can get maximize my time that's running out. Am I crazy or are y'all hearing me? You can't delegate this authority away. You cannot do it. You can't delegate it to the coach, to the sports, to the school, to the day scare. You got to do the math. I'm robbing this completely from Elder Josh Coker, the new pastor there at Vestavia. Praise the Lord. But I heard him say this, and it is so good. He said that he did a, a little study on time, and he was talking about reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God. So I'm, I'm going to rob it a little bit here, <laughs> give him the credit. But he said the average sitcom on TV is 22 minutes. The average sitcom on TV is 22 minutes. And, you know, if we could give 22 minutes to a sitcom every day or binge watch several 22-minute sitcoms over and over and over, <laughs> can't we give 22 minutes to God, to His Word? Think about it. You could read the Bible through in less than a year if you spent 22 minutes reading the Word of God day after day. Thank you, Brother Josh. That, that just When I heard that, I was like, oh, it just convicted me. 22 minutes. Now, translate that over to parenting. You know, that 22 minutes, it's more than 22 minutes. It takes more than that. And listen, it can't be delegated to a sibling either. I have said many times, I'll be downstairs, I'll be cooking some breakfast, and I'll say, where is everybody, Sister Lila? Well, they're still in the bed. I'll say, all right, Lila, would you please go up there and get everybody up? And she goes up there. She comes back down. Where is everybody, Lila? She said, they wouldn't get up. So here I go. They get up. 
You see, I can't delegate it to Sister Lila to go get them up because they're not going to listen to her. Right? Sorry, guys. I mean, I know you do sometimes, but... You know, she's not the one who is the agent. She's not the one who should feel the Spirit of God and and the burden from the Lord to be the agent of God in that category. So they listen to me. Listen, you moms, you know, most of you have a little bit of higher-pitched voice. And, you know, sometimes Sister Tracy said, I've told them and I've told them. And then I come and they hear that deep voice, you know, and it's like, whoop, they snap to attention. There's been occasions, you know, when they just needed to hear my deep voice and say, you're about to go to the woodshed, you know, and everybody snaps to attention. Okay. It can't be delegated. So let's talk about the role of the agent of God, the parent, the agent. You are the agent if you're a parent. If you're going to be a parent one day, you need to understand going into it that you're going to be the agent of God. You're going to be the fiduciary of God to care for those precious little ones that come along. And one of the things that the agent is required to do is to teach the child about submission. Right? That's a big one, isn't it? I can't believe I'm fixing a quote, little Nass, from the pulpit. Some of you are going, who... Thank God you don't know who Little Nass is. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Ms. Ruby Reif asked me to come down and play some children's songs at the public library some time ago, some way back. And when people ask me to come and play music at first, I'm always like, yeah. And then I'm thinking, I don't know any children's songs. You know, She'll be coming around the mountain, all this stuff. So we're going to have five or six years old. Listen, I've, I have stood and performed and sang in front of thousands of people. You know, I'm at four or five thousand at one time, and I have never never been as nervous as I was to go and sing to those four or five year olds, because you, it's a lot different trying to entertain four or five year olds than it is, you know, folks that are older. So Miss Ruby asked me to, and as I went down there, I was thinking, you know, well, her grandson Seth sings and plays the guitar. I wonder why she didn't ask him. And I figured out she probably did, and he just said, "Sorry, Grandma, I can't make it," which is what I should have said. So I go down to the library, and there's these beautiful little children down there, five, six year old children. I get up there. I'm just nervous, man. I've done blushed red. Can y'all believe that? I should have wore disguise and nobody would have known. So I get up there and I start playing. You know, she wants, I practice some, she'll be coming around the mountain. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. And Mary had a little lamb and all this stuff, you know. And then so some sweet little five-year-old, beautiful little girl sitting in the crowd. And some little kid in there, I said, does anybody have a request? I should have never asked that. And the little five-year-old, beautiful girl says, play Old Town Road. And I was like, what? It sounds like an old, you know, like, I was thinking Camp Town Races or something, you know. And I was like, honey, I don't know that song. Would you like to sing it? Okay. And so this beautiful little girl comes up there, and she starts singing the Little Nass song, Old Town Road. The line, the hook of which is, can't nobody tell me nothing. Can't nobody tell me nothing. And y'all laughing, it's funny, I know. My heart was broken. And the mom, some of them were joining in and singing. They know Old Town Road. It's a cross between country and rap, which is a misnomer and antichrist. <laughs> I'm so glad y'all know me and love me. We're definitely going to heavily edit this message. But this little girl's, and I'm trying to listen to the words. I'm trying to figure out how to play it. I don't know. I'm like, I ain't never heard this children's nursery rhyme. Can't nobody tell me nothing. Can't nobody tell me nothing. Can't nobody tell me nothing. That's the hook. And I, when she finished, and I, I, went, I went to the car and looked it up. I was like, what is this? And I was like, holy moly, this is unbelievable. The lyrics are horrible. Horrible. This little five-year-old girl sitting there singing them. Some of y'all that are going around singing around town are sitting there thinking, God, forgive me now, you know. But that's the theme of our society. Can't nobody tell me nothing. Little Nass and Billy Ray Cyrus have coined that. 
Can't nobody tell me nothing. You want to know why we're in the trouble that we're in? I'm not talking because some five-year-old little girl was singing some horrible song. That's, that's, that's just a symptom of a deeper problem. The real problem is, can't nobody tell me nothing. Okay? If the five-year-olds are singing that, rehearsed it in their mind, it's going to stick. It's going to stick. And you know what? It stuck with me. And I was like, I can't get that out of my head. I'm a brainless robot. I can't get it out of my head. You see, think about the holy burden that a parent should feel to teach their child submission. Submission. Because you're going to have to submit for the rest of your life. You're, you know, you're submitting to God. You're submitting to the employer. If you're a boss, like I'm a boss, quote, boss in my workplace, but I've got all these people that I work for. See, I'm not autonomous. I don't have all authority. You're always going to be submitting to somebody. And furthermore, think about if you realize you are a parent and you're an agent of God, guess what? You're submitting to an authority. I'm God's agent and you answer to God and you're teaching that. If you feel that in what you do, I tell you, that's, that is life changing for a parent. I am the agent of God, the fiduciary who's supposed to take care of this little fellow. Psalm 119 and verse 44 so shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty. You see that right there? Liberty is freedom. The only way that the child of God can be free and feel freedom, feel liberty, is by following and submitting to the commandments of God. It's just like a train running on a track. Have y'all ever seen what happens when a train gets off of a track? I have. I've gone to some derailment sites and it is the awfulest mess you've ever seen. I've gone and taken some pictures at some derailment sites where it just it, fires were started and the woods burn up and there was just metal and junk and wheels and, and, and twisted metal and all of this mess. Just, it's, it's a disaster when a train comes off the track. But it's a beautiful thing to see that train running down the track, just clickety-clickety-clickety-clack <laughs> going along. It's a beautiful thing. And that's for the child of God. God has a track for the child of God. Parents who should feel the burden to put those children on that track. Now, obviously, a child could still become derailed. A child could still have issues and whatever. And, and we're sinners and that's going to happen. But the track is clear. It's God's track. It's God's commandments. And if you feel the burden as an agent of God, as a parent then you're going to look at that track. You're going to look at God's track. It's not your track. That's why I give you the disclaimer. I'm not some guru about some you know, unique new way to train up children. God's the guru. God's the one that's the authority. God's the one that says we're His agent as parents, and you're going to be His agent as parents one day. There's freedom and submission. Think about it. The happiest times of my life, <laughs> the happiest times of my life in the household of Harold and Diane was whenever I was running on the track that they laid before me and it was just clickety-clack, clickety-clack alone. <laughs> and the worst memories that I have was whenever I knew I'd done wrong, I derailed the train, I'd done what I wasn't supposed to do, and here comes the conductor. <laughs> Conductors. Here they come. It was awful. Just a mess. But there was freedom in the submission of doing what they said. And, and here's the funny thing about it, and this is what we're fixing to get to. They didn't tell me what they told me just for their own pleasure. You know, this is right because this is, this is what God's Word says. This is right because this is good for you. See, and God is perfect. God is holy. My parents were not perfect and holy. I'm not perfect and holy. We're sinners. But look at that track that God has. See? 
Now, so the reason I belabor that about God's track, you're God's agent, is because we might get the idea of, you know, it's all about me. And I just want to bring forth these perfect looking children, you know, just for my own benefit. It makes me look good. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's not about making you or me look good. It's about making God look good. It's about them honoring God. Now, Genesis 18 and 19. This is where I give you the proof text of us being God's agent. And, you know, I didn't really notice this until recently just reading this. But what a, what a wonderful point it makes. <clears throat> okay, Genesis 18 and 19. The, the text, the uh, context here is God is speaking directly one-on-one with Abraham. And God is, a, is finished having a meal with Abraham, and he's about to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and rain some fire and brimstone on some really bad people. And God is debating within his own mind, if that's a good way to put it, that whether or not to tell Abraham what he's about to do. And I want you to notice why God reasons within his own mind that he's going to tell Abraham his secret about going down there and seeing what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah and ultimately destroying it. Verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do going down to Sodom and Gomorrah? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And now verse 19, for I know him. Does God know us like he knows Abraham in this manner? I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. Read it with me now. And they shall keep Abraham's way. Is that what it says? Doesn't say that, does it? For I know him that Abraham will command his children and his household after him that they shall keep the way of the Lord. Do you see that? To do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. You see, Abraham had something going on in his house that we all need going on in our houses. There is an outside element that affects the agent of God, the parent of God, and that is the way of the Lord. It's not the way of Tim. It's not the way of of Brother Harold, who's gone to be with the Lord now, or Sister Diane. It's not the way of great-grandmother this or great It's not the way of the latest new idea about how you parent. It's not the way of Dr. Spock. It is the way of God, you see? And, of course, the million-dollar question is, well, what is that way? That's what we're talking about. That's That's what we're looking at with parenting. The agent of God, Abraham, was God's agent. And here's a man who hadn't had any children for 90, for 85 years? I, I believe that this man sure appreciated what had happened to him. You know, he has, his first child was Ishmael, you know, with the situation there that came up. You know, things weren't perfect in Abraham's household, right? It wasn't perfect. There's no perfect household. So there's a pretty big blunder there, you know, where Ishmael comes along through Hagar, but his heir, his only son through Sarah is Isaac. See? This man... God already knew that he was going to command his house to follow the way of the Lord. I tell you, that it puts things in perspective, doesn't it? It really puts things in perspective when it comes to parenting. I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So Abraham was a man on the errand of God. He was on God's errand. And the goal of Abraham was to follow the ways of God, the ways of the Lord, and teach his children to follow the ways of the Lord. So ask the question, what ways are we following as parents? Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, plays back in, doesn't it? When we rise up, when we lie down, when we walk in the way, when we sit at our tables. 
What way are we teaching there? I'll embarrass Brother Asher a little bit, but years ago when Brother Asher decided he wanted to play football in seventh grade, I sat down and had a little talk with him. I said, now listen, the goal of doing this is not to try to go to college and play. The goal of doing this is not to make a big name for yourself. The goal of doing this is if you're going to do it is to learn something. Learn something about teamwork. Learn something about character. Learn so- We had that conversation. He may not even remember it. But I made that clear. And I'm not giving you over to the football team to where they're going to train and teach you and raise you. You're going to learn stuff about football and hopefully some good qualities about teamwork. But I'm still your dad. See? I want you to think about this. A parent is clearly defined as God's agent. What are the objectives as parents? You know, my objective when... I allowed Brother Asher to start in football or, or the girls to start in volleyball, the girls to, you know, to do other things. Ballet. I never said, well, my girls are going to be you know, 30 or 35 years old and they're going to be professional ballet dancers you know, in New York. <laughs> Not going to happen. My son, my goal, the goal of my life is for him to be able to hit you know, so many home runs or throw or catch so many passes. That is not the goal. But I'm going to tell you what, that's sadly the goal of many parents today. I was recently spending time with my good friend from down in Auburn who played pro baseball at Cincinnati. He was there for eight years. And he has people call him all the time. (laughs) You think my son's going to make it? You think my son's going to make it? You know, the idea that every parent, a lot of parents, not every parent, but a lot of parents have in their mind, well, Junior's going to be a pro ball player. That's not a goal that we should have in mind, an objective as parents. Because you realize how few people actually, I mean, how what a minuscule number that actually ever turns out to be. That's not a legitimate goal. See? But if you said that just a parent walking down the street, so what's your goal for your children? Oh, I want him to be a pro, pro baseball player. I want him to be a pro football player. I want him to be a pro, you know, badminton player. I mean, I, you know, there's so many different things you could get into. That's not the goal for parenting. That's not an objective. There may be some use that you can gain from a, a child being involved in this activity, that activity, the other activity. But it is not to be delegating away parenting ability or authority. And it's not a goal for that child's life. I remember reading several years ago about a very accomplished high school quarterback from the East Coast. This is years ago, 10 or 15 years ago. And this young man was 21 years old. He was a great high school quarterback. And, of course, you all know I follow football and I like football. And so I read this article. This was a great high school quarterback. He's 21 years old. He, he didn't make it in college. He didn't, you know, I don't know if he got a scholarship or if he tried or whatever, but he, it just didn't work out for him in college. But he was the man in high school, won championships, won all kinds of games. He's 21 years old and in counseling because he is absolutely depressed. He's completely depressed because in his mind, the objectives that were set before him are now, he can't accomplish those objectives because the objective was to be a pro ball player or a college ball player, you see? And he's in counseling now, or then. He was in counseling because he was so depressed. His life was over. He's all washed up at 21. (laughs) Let me tell you something. That's just when life starts getting good. You know, the best is yet to come. I tell you, the best is yet to come for the young folks. The best is yet to come for the old folks because the Lord's coming, you see? If you look at it from that perspective, the best is only yet to come. See? So, if we approach parenting from this agency mindset, I'm God's agent, it sure keeps us humble, doesn't it? I'm on a mission. I'm on an errand. I'm doing what God has directed me to do. And one of the most important things that we can do as parents is apologize to our kids, our children, whenever we've done something wrong. 
That's been one of the hardest things that I've ever found to do. Sometimes it takes me two or three days. I think I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I went too far with it. But by God's grace, Lord willing, I'm going to come back around and say, I'm just really sorry. This is the hardest one right here. Whenever I've said something that I shouldn't say to Sister Tracy in front of the kids, I thought, well, I had a right to say that. You know, I mean, I just, you know. And I come back around, I have to look at the kids and say, hey, kids, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that in front of your mother. I shouldn't have said that to your mother. I'm really sorry. That's some humble pie right there. That's hard to do. That's what God requires his agents to do. If you practice that, hey, guys that are not parents, practice that kind of humility now. And when you become a parent, it'll be a little bit easier, okay? As an agent, you should sit down. As an agent of God, you should sit down and write down the goals for your children. And I hope and pray to the good Lord that the first one on top is to not to be a pro, base, a pro ball player. <laughs> That's not a legitimate goal. See? So, I need to close out. I had an example I was going to use, but maybe we'll use it next time. We've seen how Abraham was on a mission from God. And, and Abraham got the secret of God, by the way. Because Abraham realized he was an agent and he was letting the way of the Lord direct his household as an agent of God, feeling the power and the authority that God had delegated to him, God told him his secret. I'm going to tell you, listen, children of God, parents, whatever you may be, if you're parents, if you may be a parent one day, Whatever your state is, if you're never a parent, if you are a parent, if you're just a disciple of Christ, if you let the way of the Lord direct where you go and what you do, you will see some beautiful things. You'll see many secrets of God. And I'm not talking about some dark, mysterious secret. I'm talking about the blessing of peace and love and joy in your life. You'll see things that you can't see with all that other drama going on. It's been a blessing to be here with you tonight. I hope it's been profitable. Let's turn in our new hymnals to number 29.